We are so grateful that you have joined us this morning as we continue our journey to the manger where we're using stories from the Gospel of Luke to look at things that we should be wrestling with in our own hearts as we prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus at Christmas. And we've looked at things like doubt and trust. And today we're going to talk about praise and why praise is essential to preparing ourselves to align with what God wants to do in our hearts and in the world this Advent season. This past week, I got the sad news that one of my favorite spots in Minneapolis is closing. So Penny's Coffee in Linden Hills is one of my absolutely favorite spots. I've spent countless hours sitting there reading and writing. I've met friends hundreds of times for runs from Penny's to run a lake and grab coffee after I've met many people there for appointments. Uh, I, will, I will dearly miss Penny's Coffee, which actually has its last day there today. But I know that for a small business to go out during 2020 is not unique. And in fact, in some ways, I even feel guilty bringing it up because I know that many people have suffered a whole lot this year and it feels petty to bring up uh, a coffee shop that I'm sad that's going out. But I tell you this because it's very personal for me because I have sung the praises of this coffee shop to anyone who will listen for the last several years. But because I've been singing the praises of this coffee shop, it's done two things. The first is, it's made me love it even more. So I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you've talked about something that you like so much that it just reminds you over and over, oh yeah, I do actually really like and love this thing. And so it's reinforced in me that I like it a ton. But the second thing that's happened is it's also invited others to check out Penny's Coffee, to try it. Maybe maybe they've joined me there or they've gone there on my recommendation. And so my praise of this coffee shop has led others to experience it for themselves. Well, what I want you to see this morning is that praise is personal participation that leads to public invitation. So when we pray something, when we sing something's praise, what we're doing is we are personally naming this has value to me. It's very personal. But we are also proclaiming that it's worth something in front of others. It's a public invitation for others to see, wow, they love this so much. Maybe it might have meaning for my life as well. When we praise things, it makes a difference in our lives. In in a twist on the old business saying that you get what you measure, one CEO said, you get what you celebrate. You get what you celebrate. He's saying that when we celebrate and praise something, it starts to make a bigger difference in our lives. It starts to matter. It starts to change us. We can easily see this, actually, if we think about our relationships. So if you think about your family, think about marriage, think about with teammates or classmates, when you're criticizing each other, when you're arguing, when you're, when you're putting each other down, are you enjoying your relationship? Do others look at that relationship and think, oh, that's the kind of marriage I want? Or that's the kind of relationship with my kids that I want? No. On the other side, though, when you're saying encouraging things to each other, when you're building each other up, when you're celebrating and praising each other, are you enjoying your relationship then? Absolutely. 
And when people see that relationship, they go, yeah, that's the kind of teammate I want, or that's the kind of marriage I want, or the relationship with parents that I want, one that's full of praise and encouragement. One church leader and pastor, Ed Stetzer, said, what you celebrate, you become. What you celebrate, you become. That when you celebrate in praise, it actually changes you. It transforms you. And you're becoming a different person because of what you praise and because of what you celebrate. It starts to make a difference in your life. And then your life starts to offer that to others as well. So to look at this idea of praise this morning, as Corey said earlier, we're going to look at a, a scripture known as the Magnificat. It's a song sung by the Virgin Mary when she's told that she's going to be the mother of the Son of God. So she bursts forth in this praise in Luke chapter 1. If you have Bibles, would encourage you to follow along. It's in Luke 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So the first words of this text, my soul magnifies the Lord, where we get the word magnificat is from the Latin word that begins magnificat, magnify, but the English translation my soul magnifies the Lord. You all can think about magnifying something. Imagine a child with a magnifying glass looking at a caterpillar. Taking something that you couldn't see before or was very hard to see and making a really big deal out of it. Making it big, making it seen by more. Now, the question for this text is when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, is she saying that God has made a big deal in my soul? Or is she saying, my soul makes God a big deal to others? Put another way, is she saying that God is being made much of in me, or am I making much of God to others? And the answer is both. It is both public and it is personal. Mary is saying, this is very personal. This is what God has done for me. God is being made a big deal in my soul. I'm praising God and I'm growing in my affection for God. But she's also saying that my soul is making a big deal about God before others. When we praise God, it can't help but put on display what we're praising. It can't help but be an invitation to others that might be worth their praise as well. Well, what does Mary say that God has done for her personally? So verse 49, for instance, she has a string of things she says, but check out verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation 
to generation. So she's naming that God is doing something for, for her that is rooted in who God is and what God has done. And you need both. Both are essential components to understanding what it means to praise God. You have to have both. Take, take the coffee shop, for instance. If I told you, hey, I love this coffee shop. They have amazing coffee, but they're awful people. They, they treat you terrible when you come in. Would you want to go to that coffee shop? No, it would not be worthy of praise. Take the other side. If I said, hey, they are the best people, the most amazing people in the world, but the coffee is like the worst coffee you've ever had. Would you want to go to that coffee shop? No, you need both. You need both who he is and what he has done. We need God who is love and God who acts justly. We need God who is gracious and God who comforts us. We need God who is near and God who saves us from our sins. You see, if we only praise God because of what he's done, but we never connect it to praising God for who he is, what happens when God doesn't do what we want or what we expect? Or if we praise God for who he is, but we never praise him for what he's done, will God just become this sort of detached, we think nice things about God, but we don't actually believe he will act in concrete ways in our lives. So when we praise God, we have to make a big deal about both who he is and about what he's done, because then others will start to see who he is for them and what he can do in their lives as well. So our praise must be about both. And Mary makes a big deal about what God has done for her. But what does she say about what God has done for the world? So in verse 51, there's a shift in the song. And Mary is no longer singing about just what God has done for her, but she's singing about what God has done for the nation of Israel. If you were with us last week, one of the things I said was, in these promises of God in the Old Testament, when God did this wonderful thing for Israel, it actually meant that God was doing it for the whole world. So verse 51, Mary says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. Estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. So Mary is using uh, essentially a rhetorical device where you proclaim that something that's going to happen has already been accomplished. And it's because Mary believes in it that much. She trusts that God is going to come through that much. Now this song is very poetic. Lots of elaborate imagery. But don't be fooled. Don't think that the Magnificat is just some musical interlude and let's just get back to the action of the story. The Magnificat is essential to our understanding of the Christmas story because every single word of this song is dripping with Old Testament scripture. In fact, almost every line is a direct quotation from something in the Old Testament. The most 
familiar one is in the book of 1 Samuel, a woman named Hannah sings a song of praise because she's had a child and that child's destiny is related to God's promises to his people. So you see the obvious connection, but Mary also borrows from the Torah, from the first five books of the Bible, from the prophet Isaiah, and also heavily from the Psalms. She's drawing on a long line of scripture. And what you need to see is that's so important in understanding what God is doing in this story because God is worthy of praise because God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. That what he's said he will do, he does. And who he says he will be, he is. And so Mary is not creating this new thing. She's drawing on a long history and saying that this new thing that's happening with a virgin birth of a child is actually connected to God's promises from long ago. That this is who God has always been. This is what God has always said he will do. He is worthy of praise. But what does it actually say God's going to do? It said he's going to lift up the hungry and the humble and he's going to tear down the things that the rich, the proud, and the mighty trust in. And this idea is known as the great reversal. And it's known as the great reversal for obvious reasons that God is changing the way the world works. He's upending the ways of the world. That God is bringing good news To people who never heard good news. The poor, the humble, the hungry, they never ever heard good news. And the thing is, when even those people heard good news, that meant good news for the whole world because it meant everybody was included in this thing God was doing. But this text is also good news for the rich and the powerful and the mighty. And here's why. It might not sound like good news. It might sound like bad news for them. But what do the proud and the mighty and the rich praise? They don't praise God. They praise power and money and self. But the thing about those things is that's not good news for everybody. Those things are only good news for a select few. They don't include everybody. So God offers these people a swap because in God's kingdom, we learn that praising power, money, and self is no longer the way to the top. It's the way to the bottom. The good news is we also learn in this text that the bottom is where people realize how much they need God. And that they're also offered an opportunity to get in on what God wants to do in their lives. And so God offers the mighty, the powerful, and the rich to lay down the things that they're currently praising. To see that those things are not worth praising at all. That they're incomparable compared to the riches of God's promises. And he invites the mighty, the powerful, and the rich to join in the humble and the hungry in praising the only thing that's truly worthy of human praise. That God himself enters into history to do something for us that none of us could ever do on our own. That God enters into history and goes to the cross 
And Jesus dies for your forgiveness and your salvation and your freedom and your future that you will not spend your life chasing and praising things that will ultimately fail and wither and fade, but that you will spend your life praising something that actually has the power to transform you, something that will never fade, something that's eternal and will never fail you. When we praise God for who he is, And for what he's done, we magnify his love and his work in the world. We magnify it into the lives of others. Praise is personal participation that leads to public invitation. What's meant for Mary is meant for Israel, is meant for you and for me. Is meant for the whole world that God wants you to experience his love because he wants everybody to experience his love. So my challenge to you this morning is really simple. I want you to spend more time praising. I want you to spend more time praising God. I want you to spend more time talking about who God is to you and what God has done for you. Make intentional choices to privately and personally and publicly praise God. But if you're anything like me, you probably find it easier to praise a local coffee shop that you love than you do to praise God publicly. And if I'm really honest, it's easier for me to criticize than it is to praise So I don't know if you find yourself in those places where you're more likely to be critical than you are to sing praises of anything, much less God. But here's the thing. If we don't sing God's praises, others will never know that we believe he actually makes a difference in our lives. And in fact, if we don't sing God's praises, we might start to forget it ourselves. So this Advent journey, we have to take Mary's praise so seriously and her challenge to us that we come face to face with the necessity that if we're going to prepare ourselves for what God wants to do in our lives, we have to learn what it looks like to praise as a regular part of our lives. As we imagine what it means to be Christians, what it means to be a church on the other side of the pandemic, going through the pandemic. And it's coming, right? News this morning, vaccines are starting to roll out. And I don't know how you feel about vaccines. I don't want to talk about that. But we can all agree that that's a signal that the end is coming. So what will it look like to continue to follow Jesus over these coming months? What will it look like to be a church on the other side of the pandemic? Who are we going to become? We have a long road ahead of us. But I know this. I know that our future will be found and determined by what we praise. That we become what we praise. And what we praise will determine what invitation we have to extend to anyone else around us. You get what you praise. You become what you celebrate. So as you make your way towards Christmas, my encouragement to you is to infuse the world around you with the hope inside of you through your words, 
through your actions, to live lives of praise that others might see who God is to you and what God has done for you and that that might be an invitation to the world that what God wants to do for them is possible and powerful and near. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, may it be so in us. May we be people of praise. May we sing your praises for what you have done for us. That you have sent your Son to die on behalf of our sins, that we might know your freedom and praise you all the days of our lives. May we praise because of who you are, that you are powerful and you are mighty, that your justice reigns in the world, that you are near and loving. God, as we let these words of the Magnificat sit in our hearts today, draw us near to you and remind us of your goodness to us. We love you and praise you in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.